0: Father, we just thank you this morning for your grace and goodness upon us. We just ask you to just take these words, Lord God, on this wonderful but very sensitive topic and use them to minister, Lord God, where there may be wounds and hurt. Use them, Lord God, to bring hope where there is none. Use them, Lord God, so that we are equipped in order to comfort and serve others in the coming months and years. For your glory. Amen. Amen. That's all okay then. Okay, so I said last time I was speaking I had a cold. Uh, Three or four weeks later, I'm still struggling with it, so don't worry. We have a system where if I'm going to blow my nose, I'm going to turn away from you, and Johnny's going to turn the volume down, but I just seem to be struggling, but hey, never mind about me, really. Okay, so we're looking at the third Part of this series entitled The Journey Home. A quick recap. We've looked in the first two on what happens when we die. What happens to the Christian. And we saw that death is a separation of our body and spirit. Our body decays. It it gives up. But our spirit, us, you and me, lives on. There is no blink. There is no hesitation. When the body gives up, the spirit Passes through, and for the non Christian, that spirit of theirs will go to a place we call Hades, which is a waiting place for the final judgment of God. When unfortunately, they will spend an eternity in hell, and we'll look a bit more at hell later on in the series. For the Christian, the Christian spirit will go straight into the presence of Jesus and be with Jesus and conscious of Jesus to a place we call paradise, and there they will await again Jesus' return when they will receive their eternal body and enjoy eternity in heaven. And we'll look a little bit more at what heaven's about in a couple of sessions on. Last time we looked at how do we prepare for our death? Because believe it or not, each of us will probably experience that unless Jesus returns beforehand. And I said very briefly about it's important we number our days. And what I meant by that is we live each day to the best of the glory of God. I mean, Jesus talks about living each day as though it's our last. That's how we number our days. We're not casual with our lives here on earth. Secondly, we spoke about how we need to stay close to God. The more we know of him whilst we're here on earth, the easier it is to anticipate the joys of heaven. I've ministered over the years to Christians who really haven't invested in time with God. And as they get older and get to that place where they know their end is near or their time on earth is near, they realise the shallowness of their relationship with God has not prepared them for what's coming. So they don't have the same sense of hope and faith and awareness So invest now whilst we can. And then thirdly, I suggested that we make practical arrangements. So I said that we should make sure our loved ones know if we have any particular wishes. And certainly our pastor should know if we have wishes about how we want to be remembered. But the reality is we won't be there anyway. So, but don't be too awkward with them <laughs> because you're not going to be there. You're going to be in a far better place in the presence of Jesus. I also said about making a will because I've ministered to folk or spoken to folk where wills haven't happened. And it can cause an awful problem amongst the family. So be wise and make a will. And then thirdly, I said, you know, it'd be good to resolve all conflict It's unfortunate, but over the years I have prayed with people who actually are still dealing with unforgiveness for someone who's died. Because the person who died never forgave them of what they'd done. Do you know, I want to make sure that when my time comes, assuming I know roughly when it will be, that I have made sure that I have left no stain behind me or left a burden on someone. I want to make sure that I've forgiven everybody. In fact, I hope I've done that before that day. But I don't want to leave those kind of issues undone. Now, before we encounter our own death, it's probable we will experience the loss of a loved one. We've seen how a Christian views their own death in as much as it's <laughs> that we view it with joy. We have a fearlessness about it. We are worshipful about it, understanding the importance of our need to be a witness even during the lead up to our death. And also, we understand how a Christian's experience of facing death is, uh, sorry, a non Christian is so different to ours. And so, how we respond to death as a Christian is different to a non Christian. But also what I'm coming on to now is how we deal with grief as a Christian is very different to how a non-Christian will deal with grief. So let me come on to this heading of this third one, which is how are Christians to grieve? C.S. Lewis, in his book, A Grief Observed, described grief as a life-shaking loss. A life-shaking loss. Please note, not shattering, but a shaking loss. The Greek word for grief, as the Bible was originally, or the New Testament was written in Greek, is a word lupio, which means sorrow and pain. Grief is a sorrow and the pain. And we see it expressed in the New Testament. In Acts 2, when Stephen was stoned, do you remember? The crowd, they mourned deeply for him. Even though they knew he was going to be with Jesus. In Philippians 2, Paul, when he's talking about Ephroditus, who had a friend who had almost died, he spoke about the grief that God had saved him from, that this friend had not died. Grief, I'd like to say, is a God-given emotion through which we express our sorrow. Jesus himself expressed this kind of a sorrow. Remember in Lazarus' death? Even though he was going to raise him from the dead, Jesus expresses his sorrow. Let me just read you a few verses of that incident. Jesus' expression of grief and sorrow for Lazarus' death is described by those who see it as his expression of love for him. Grief is a sorrow and an expression of love, it's a godly emotion. The Bible does not teach us to put on a stiff upper lip. It doesn't teach us to avoid showing emotion, but actually to recognize grief as a good emotion, as an expression of love for the one who has passed away. However, when we grieve the loss of a Christian, the Bible does tell us how not to grieve. Let me read to you from 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 4. Paul writes to the church. He says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. By that he's talking about those who are not Christians. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Grief and despair are different because despair has no hope. For the Christian, grief has hope. In our grief, we have hope. And the Christian's grief calls for faith. Over my years, I've ministered at many funeral services. I actually thought I got quite good at it, really. I rather enjoyed them more than weddings for some funny reason. But actually, what you notice is there's a tangible difference between the funeral service of a non-Christian and non-Christian families, of which I had the privilege of doing a few of those, to the funeral service of a Christian. You see, the non-Christian service has no hope to offer. There is no saviour. There is no forgiveness. There's no imputed righteousness upon the one who has deceased. It's a privilege to serve at these occasions, yes. But there is a hopelessness about the whole service. My privilege is to just get people through it. That's all they're saying. Just get me through these 25 minutes or so. But I have no hope to offer. I have no comfort to bring. I have no assurance of a wonderful eternity. In fact, I've learned the less you say, the better in these circumstances. Dear friends, this is not so at a Christian funeral. We actually call them a celebration. For when the Christians gather to celebrate the one who has gone on to be with the Lord. There is a certainty of a glorious reunion. There is a knowledge of what is yet to come. Oops, thank you. Let me read to you from Revelation 21. Listen to this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things hath passed away That's where the Christian who has left this earth resides until Jesus returns there is no despair for we have a sure and a certain hope in our resurrection and our eternity with Jesus and our reunion with those who have gone before, before us. We know where they are. We know who they are with. We know where they go on to. Eternity in heaven. And we know we will see them again, free from all pain and suffering. It's a different atmosphere to celebrate the life of a Christian who's passed through. It's a different expression of grief. Faith in grief for the Christian looks at what is to come and hope triumphs over our grief. But it hurts. And grief for Christians, can take time because a deep love is not passed over casually. For many years, my, my own mum was in a, in a bed unable to communicate. She was just a, a shell, really. We found comfort that God related to, to, relates to us in spirit. So we found comfort that even though the exterior of mum, there's nothing there, we prayed and hoped and knew that God could relate to it in spirit. And then finally, she passed away after about five years of just lying in a bed. And so in a sense, it was a bit of a relief. There was a grief that she'd gone, but there's also a relief. But then a few years later, must have been seven, eight years later, I was watching a film called Philadelphia. I don't know if you haven't seen it before. Uh, and apparently, it was a story about a man who was sacked because he had HIV. And the film was all about how he said his goodbyes before he died of HIV. And it was an interesting film, and I wasn't thinking of anything in particular as I watched it. But then suddenly, in the midst of it, for no reason, I burst out in tears, sobbing. And Laurie's looking at me, and I just say, this film's all about that guy saying goodbye. I never had a chance to say goodbye to my mum. Grief is a peculiar thing, a deep sorrow for one who was deeply loved. But it doesn't shatter me, because as a Christian, I bring faith to it and hope and see even though it hurts and comes to us at unusual places and times, just a flicker of a memory, but actually in the midst of it, I can rejoice and celebrate. But there is further comfort that we can find. In 2 Corinthians 1, Paul writes this. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive for God. Receive From God. Our Heavenly Father, the one who created us and put into place this wonderful plan of salvation with an eternity for us to enjoy, is the Father of compassion. He's not indifferent to our sorrow. For God the Father himself saw God the Son suffer on the cross. And he promises to come to us in our time of need and bring us comfort. In Matthew 5, I call it Jesus' first discipleship class, he says, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God is not indifferent to the pain we may feel, the sorrow we may feel. He comes to comfort us. But also his greatest comfort is that we know in the situation of a Christian there's an eternity that we have our faith in. And so we press into him. But we can also comfort one another and we should do. Remember when I read from Thessalonians Paul's words ended with encourage one another with these words. That actually we don't grieve like those who don't know Jesus. Because we look ahead to a fantastic reunion. Comforting one who is grieving is a privilege. But, may I suggest, it needs to be handled sensitively. Because there is a time for talking, but mainly in these situations, there's a time to be quiet. C.S. Lewis said, I don't want to be alone when I grieve, but I don't want to talk. I wish they would just talk among themselves. We had a lady in a church who lost a child and she just just sat in bed for a couple of days and just grieved mightily. And a friend went and sat at the bottom of the bed and didn't say a word for a couple of days. Months later, this lady says that meant so much. I didn't want to talk. I didn't want to hear all the Bible verses. I didn't want to know what I already knew. I didn't. I just wanted to know, you were there. So, if we ever get the privilege to grieve or to comfort someone who's grieving, be sensitive. It's not about telling them all these wonderful truths, all at once. They probably already know them. We got some friends' night in Caroline. Lovely couple. We had a phone call from them once many years ago. Caroline was pregnant and they'd had a a stillborn child who was uh, obviously born dead. Uh, And they was in tears, so we rushed to the hospital, Laurie and I. Honestly, we said nothing. We just let them sob and sob and sob over us. And I would honestly say that was the most powerful pastoral work I had ever done in my life, and all it required of me was to be there and say nothing. Soon afterwards, only a matter of weeks, there are amongst us on a Sunday, sobbing their hearts out as they raise their hands in worship to God. There is comfort to be found in our grieving. But there's also comfort we can give. And the family of God is a great place to find that comfort. I almost said to you then, any questions? But (laughs) we're not doing that. So let me move on. What comfort can we find when facing the loss of an unborn child? Now, Duncan and I and Jason and Dio are very aware of circumstances that many of you have probably faced uh, and those of you listening on the recording have probably faced as well. We want to say to you, if I'm touching on a subject that is very delicate and it leaves you with questions or leaves you with grief that you didn't realise was there, we're here to help you and serve you. You can email us and we'll arrange to meet up with you or you guys just let us know and Duncan or we'll make sure there's a lady there. There's a lady. But we're happy to meet up and just pray with you or just sit there quietly for you. So let's ask the question, what comfort can we find when facing the loss of an unborn child? Well, Psalm 139 tells us that God knits us together in our womb. So we know, or he knows us, at that stage. So let me read those verses, Psalm 139, 13 to 16. And in Jeremiah 1, God says to Jeremiah, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. So the Christian understanding has always been that life begins at conception, not birth. That God knows us at conception when the sperm and the egg join and fuse, or whatever the technical term is, that is conception. And God knows us at that time. And many children, for different reasons, have died before they are born. But God knows them all. In 2021, over 200,000 abortions were done in this country. In Romania, it exceeds a million a year, ever since they stopped the orphanages. One in 225 pregnancies do not go full term. And seven stillborn babies are born each day of each year. Only God knows how many miscarriages. But only God knows every one of those precious children. The Bible tells us that we're born in sin. But for those unborn there may be a hope that we can cling to. I want to say this, I cannot categorically say that every unborn child will be in heaven, but neither can I categorically say they won't be. How do we respond then to a child we've lost, a miscarriage, a child that's born dead? There's a verse in Genesis 18 when Abraham is appealing to God, when God's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham, if you remember the story in his negotiations with God, finally gets to the conclusion. And he says this, will not the judge of all the earth do right? There are many questions and situations like the one I've mentioned where that has to be our fallback the safe place, that we fall on God's mercy and we trust him. And therefore, we need to be humble and wise not to force our views on people. I sometimes find Christians are more interested in winning an argument about a subject than actually demonstrating the grace and love and humility of Jesus during the discussion. Will not the God of all things do right is there comfort for the loss of a child or an adult who doesn't have the mental ability to understand right from wrong Andrew Wilson is a church leader in the New Frontiers family of churches he's also over the years grown and recognised more and more so as a theologian writing fantastic papers to bring God's scriptures to us. He wrote this book entitled The Life You Never Expected, Thriving When Parenting Special Needs Children. And he addresses this question. And I think, to be honest, the best thing I can do is to read you what he says. The question came to him, how do you think about salvation, eternity and so on when it comes to Zeke and Anna? They're his two children who have special needs. He says there's an instinctive answer and a theological answer to that. Instinctively, and I know this sounds fluffy, my understanding of God's character is such that I'm confident he'll save our children, even if they're unable to understand or articulate the gospel. I often say to people when when they ask me this, if the children died suddenly, I would have many things to worry about, but I certainly wouldn't be worrying about their eternal destiny. I'd entrust them to a loving father, And say with Abraham, will not the judge of all the earth do right? There's a theological side to this too, though. The reason why humanity is held accountable and judged according to Romans 1 is that we knew the truth about God and suppressed it. But those things aren't true of a lot of people with learning disabilities because they cannot mentally understand the world sufficiently. So... I suspect people who cannot understand the gospel because of their disabilities are going to receive grace from God anyway, which is also what John Piper argues in his great book, Let the Nations Be Glad, and He's Not As Fluffy As Me. Having said all that, we continue to find ways to communicate the gospel to them anyway. There's nothing I can add to that. Then let's ask the third question. What happens of a child who dies young? Well, we know that Jesus loved children, was passionate about children, and actually warned people against harming children. And again, I would suggest we cannot be certain. But there is a few verses occasionally that we come across. Here's one where King David seems to have a confidence in 2 Samuel 12, remember he had the affair with Bathsheba. Bathsheba's pregnant and then the child dies. As the child is getting towards death because the, he's told that the child's likely to die, he's praying and he's fasting and eventually the servants come to him and say, the child, Bathsheba's child that was born as a consequence of your adultery, that's my words, not his, uh, theirs, has passed away. He says this in 2 Samuel verse 19. David noticed that his attendants were whispering among themselves, and he realized that the child was dead. Is the child dead, he asked. Yes, they replied, he's dead. Then David got up from the ground after he'd washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request they served him food, and he ate. His attendants asked him, why are you acting in this way? When the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But now the child is dead, you get up and eat. He answered, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he is dead, why should I go on fasting? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. So there's an implication there that David had a confidence that he would see the child again. I will go to him. He can't come to me, but maybe I will go to him. Or rather, I will go to him. So again, we have to fall on Genesis. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? And again, we must be humble enough not to force our view's not to see these kind of conversations as an opportunity to win some points or to force our supposed greater wisdom on others. There is a principle that may help us that covers all the three circumstances. That's a child that's too young to understand the gospel, a child that's unable or an adult to understand the gospel, and a child that's never born. And I've got to be honest, I've wondered about whether I should say this. But I'm saying this, but you must understand, this is my view. Okay? In Matthew 7, Jesus speaks about looking for the fruit of a life in a Christian. So we know that the fruit of our Christian lives, the evidence of a relationship with Jesus, is a changed character into the likeness of Jesus. A child unborn or mentally unable, or too young to understand right or wrong, is not able to receive Christ, and would probably have therefore no bad fruit or no good fruit, as in the context we're talking about. They've had no opportunity to hear and reject the gospel. I personally believe (laughs) the judge of the earth will do right. Do you know that's where we've got to fall back to all the time. But personally... I would take comfort that such children and adults will be in heaven. However, I would never preach that or minister that to a situation with an absolute assurance because I don't believe I can. So what I'm saying is you must form your own view in light of the scriptures we have and you must have faith for your view But you need to be very careful and humble about that view. Then let me ask this. It does seem a bit unfair not for you to have a chance to ask questions, but perhaps it's as well anyway, maybe later if you have them. Is there any comfort we could have in the death of a presumed unbeliever? Somebody who we know has never taken the opportunity to receive Jesus. They have no hope of heaven and we understand hell is their eternal destiny. We understand there's no second chance after death. There's no purgatory where someone can somehow pray you out. However, God, in his amazing grace, works in amazing ways. Let me read to you what Wayne Grudem says in his book, Systematic Theology. This is page 816, in case you were thinking I'm reading the book. But it's a fantastic reference book. I do have some friends who've read it, but it's beyond me. But anyway, it's great if you want to study a particular subject. Let me read you what Wayne Grudem says about the, uh, is there any comfort we can have in the death of an unbeliever? When unbelievers die, the sorrow we feel is not mingled with the joy of assurance that they have gone gone to be with the Lord forever. This sorrow, especially regarding those who have been close to us, is very deep and real. Paul himself, when thinking about some of his Jewish brothers who had rejected Christ, said, I'm speaking the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart, for I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen by race. So we can grieve and feel pain, obviously, for the loss of a loved one, who we don't, or we recognise, was never a Christian. Yet it also must be said that we often do not have absolute certainty that a person has persisted in refusal to trust Christ all the way to the point of death. The knowledge of one's impending death often will bring about genuine heart searching on the part of the dying person. And sometimes words of scripture or words of Christian testimony that have been heard long ago will be recalled and the person may come to genuine repentance and faith. Certainly, we do not have any assurance that this has happened unless there is explicit evidence for it. But it is is also good to realise that in many cases... We have only probable but not absolute knowledge that those whom we known, we have known as unbelievers have persisted in their unbelief until the point of death. In some cases, we simply don't know. I can think of two instances. There's one where my sister-in-law's father denied Christ all his life, was, uh, had cancer, and it was Laurie's brother who literally in his last hours sat with him on the bed and pleaded with him to accept Jesus, talked to him, and he had been adamant he wasn't interested. His dying breaths, his last conversation, was he turned and received Jesus Christ. Facing his own death, he turned and received Jesus Christ in those last breaths. There was another story which is amazing. When we opened the cry shop in Taunton uh, some years ago, Laurie got very friendly with the landlords. It's always good to be friendly with the landlords. And she built a relationship with them. Over the years, the landlord spoke about a daughter getting ill. Uh, I think her daughter was about 35 with a couple of young children. And then her daughter got worse and worse, and eventually she was in hospital With I think it was a brain tumour, but Laurie will give you the details. But she was in hospital, and the, the family had been told that she had not long left to live. During this journey, Laurie had come to the church and told us about this lady. And she said to the lady, who's totally not interested in God, neither was her daughter. She told the lady, I will get the church to pray for your daughter. And so as a church, every prayer meeting we'd pray for them. Laurie, Laurie would never shut up about it. So every time I was leading something, she was there. And we were praying for this, this the young lady. So the mother was gathered, was told by the hospital to gather. This will be your last chance. She's under sedation now. Uh, come and say your final goodbyes. She's only got a few days at the very most, if not hours. So the immediate family gathered To say goodbye to her. She was under sedation. So she couldn't communicate. Whilst they were sitting. And this was the mother who was telling Laurie. As she was crying. You can imagine how Laurie was responding to this. She was crying. And everyone she's told since are crying. So the mother's telling Laurie. That they're sitting round this lady's. Her daughter's bed. All upset. Just saying goodbye to her. The daughter's lying there. Obviously she's drugged. And she can't feel anything. Suddenly. Absolutely, suddenly, their daughter sits up, bolt right up in her bed, looks at her family, and she says this. She says, I have seen Jesus. You must believe in him. He's real. Now give me a phone. And she went on and phoned every member of the family that was not in that room, told them she'd seen Jesus and he's real, and then died a day or two later how would you reconcile that do we not trust the God of all the earth that he will do right we don't know what goes on we don't know what goes on in those last moments but dear friends we're not going to rely on those last moments are we however dramatic we're going to share the gospel we're going to bring Jesus to people We're going to give them a life. I mean, a life wasted on earth is a life without Jesus Christ in the midst of all you do. So again, I'm not saying that every unbeliever is saved at the last minute. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is God in his amazing grace has a way to break through where we can't and we just don't know. So even with my mum, though she was unable to communicate with us, if she had been an unbeliever, I'd have prayed for her, I'd have told her about Jesus, because something in her, her spirit, is what God relates to. So if you have loved ones who don't know Jesus, that are in a state like my mum was, don't give up on them. Speak to them. Tell them. The love of Christ is for them as well. So recap. Recap. Grief is an expression of love, okay? It's okay to grieve. It's a God-given emotion. But as Christians, when we grieve the loss of another Christian, we don't grieve as those without hope. For there is a reunion to come. And our faith in our grief looks at what is to come. And our hope Will triumph over grief so in closing let me say this there is no sin the grace of God cannot cover there is no sin that Christ's death was not sufficient for there is no experience you have been through or will go through that God is not aware of and wants to comfort you if he hasn't already He sees all your pain. He sees all your grief. He sees all your circumstances. And he holds out his arms to you. Open to receive all who would come to him. Who don't know him for forgiveness and mercy. Who do know him for love and comfort. And the rising of the hope that we have. And when I grieve for a brother and sister... I will express my sorrow. I will weep. I'll be free with those emotions. But I will not despair. Because faith will arise in my grief. And that faith will look to what is to come. And that hope will overcome that grief. Let me read you in closing what D.A. Carson says. This is a book, How Long, O Lord, Reflections on Suffering and Evil, page 115. Do you know how you used to get paid to read books like this? You are so blessed. <laughs> he says this. In September 1542, Magdalene, one of the daughters of Martin Luther, lay dying. His father, weeping at her side, he asked her, Magdalene, my dear little daughter, would you like to stay here with your father? Or would you willingly go to your father yonder? Magdalene answered, Darling father, as God wills. Luther wept, holding his daughter in his arms, praying that God might free her, and she died. As she was laid in her coffin, Martin Luther declared, Darling Lena, you will rise and shine like a star, yea, like the sun. I am happy in spirit, but the flesh is sorrowful, and I will not be content. The parting grieves me beyond measure. I have sent a saint to heaven. We do not have to go so far back in the pages of history. I could tell you of the funeral service of a young woman just 23 herself, the daughter of missionaries and already deeply committed to serving the Lord the same way. I could tell you of the memorial service of a pastor's wife who died suddenly in middle age, leaving her family utterly disorientated and distraught, but still able to sing, My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me. For me he died, for me he lives and everlasting life and light he freely gives. In fact, we begin to wonder if some pain and sorrow in this life is not used in God's providential hand to make us homesick for heaven, to detach us from this world, to prepare us for heaven, to draw our attention to himself and away from the world of merely physical things. In short, We begin to look at all of life's experiences, good and ill, from the vantage of the end. Even in our grief, our sorrow for loved ones, God uses that to loosen our own connection with earth and turn our gaze heavenly to remind us of what is to come for ourselves. What a God. Amen. Let's just pray. Father we thank you that there is no fear in our bodily death here on earth and we thank you that when that time comes Lord we want to be ready and prepared and turn our gaze towards you and we want to thank you that Jesus has made all of this possible for undeserving people like us Lord we worship you we love you We also pray Holy Spirit that you would touch men and women amongst us that maybe a grief has been suppressed or maybe they've been told it's wrong to grieve or they just haven't had the freedom to do so. I pray Lord Jesus, set them free. Draw close to them, comfort them. Let your love be known Lord God. In Jesus name. Hey